Tonight's presentation will expose a massive deception, and it's all about the return of Jesus and the end of time. Have you ever wondered how it will happen? Well, stay tuned because you are about to find out. Good evening, everyone, and a very warm welcome to you all. My name is Sharissa Tarosian, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us tonight for another epic season together in uh, God's Word and hearing about how the Bible relates to right now today. And before we listen to Lyle's live presentation, we want to remind you that because we are live, we are really looking forward to hearing from you, and we would love to hear from you. So if you're watching on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page, Please make use of the comments section on those pages because we have moderators watching those, sending them through to me here so that after Lyle has finished his presentation, we can then ask your questions to him. We also want to welcome those of you who are joining us via radio. And uh, yeah, wherever you're joining, we just hope that you are very blessed from tonight's presentation. And so let's listen now as Lyle shares. All prophets will arise and deceive many. Nation will rise against nation. There will be droughts, pandemics, and earthquakes. When these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. When Jesus' disciples asked him about when time would end, the first thing he said was, Watch out that no one deceives you. Then in the next 10 verses, he went on to repeat himself four times. Now, I don't know about you, but that certainly gives me the impression that Jesus is really concerned about us being deceived on this subject. And before you say, oh, that's not about me because I'm already a follower of Jesus, remember that the sermon in Matthew 24 is for Christian people, not those who reject the Bible. Jesus says they're already deceived. And not just average Christians either, but Jesus specifies the very elect. That is the church-going, Bible-reading, praying Christians. So what specifically was Jesus worried that we would be deceived into believing in relationship to his return? Matthew 24, 24 to 26 gives the answer. It says, False prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. Therefore... If they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the secret place, do not believe it. Clearly, Jesus is not concerned about us being deceived in relationship to when he is coming back, but rather in how he is coming back. And this story is going to begin for us long before Jesus was born. You see, Satan plays the long game. For the longer he makes his play, the less likely we are to perceive it. So let's go back about 200 years before Christ to the Greek city of Alexandria in Lower Egypt. A new religion began to develop. It took principles of the ancient mystery religions of the Egyptians and blended them with the philosophy of the Greeks. This was a religion that taught that salvation was found in knowledge, that everything in the universe had a dual nature the spiritual and the physical, and that everything that was spiritual was innately good while everything that was physical was innately evil. This religion became known as Gnosticism. John Arenzen defined Gnosticism as 
pantheistic, idealistic sects which flourished from some time before the Christian era down to the 5th century and which held matter to be a deterioration of the spirit and the whole universe a deprivation of the deity and taught the ultimate end of all being to be the overcoming of the grossness of the matter and the return to the parent spirit. Now, when Christianity arrived in the 1st century, rather than seeing it as a threat, Gnosticism enthusiastically embraced it, making Christ the supreme example of a purely spiritual being that had no body, ate no food, left no footprints, etc. They copied extensively from Christianity, even writing their own gospels from the 2nd century onwards. They claimed to have secret knowledge available to the only, only available to the initiated, and they created a religion heavily infused with paganism. Move forward now to the 12th century AD. Gnosticism has died out as a separate religion. Half a century previously, Christianity has become wealthy and corrupt, involving itself in the most awful and bloodthirsty crusades against Islam and against other Christian denominations. In the city of Jerusalem, a man by the name of Hugh de Payen launched a new secret society called the Knights Templar. Spiritually, they adopted many of the principles and doctrines of Gnosticism. Ostensibly, their job was to protect pilgrims making the journey from Joppa to Jerusalem. But in the next 11 years, they failed to ride out on a single patrol. Instead, they busied themselves tunneling under the foundations of the Jewish temple looking for treasure. If or what they found, we will probably never know. But what we do know is that almost overnight, their numbers, popularity and power exploded across Europe. And besides being an order of fighting men, they became fabulously wealthy, building enormous churches and powerful castles. In fact, they grew to become what we would call the world's first world bankers. Skip forward another couple of hundred years. And the most powerful force in Western Europe, the empire and the church, is broke and looking for funds. It was not difficult for them to find where all the money was. The Knights Templar owned it. With their secretive nature and semi-pagan doctrines, it was not hard for the church to accuse this group of witchcraft and condemn them to death. It was Friday the 13th, 1307, when the decree went out. The Templars were hunted down and burned to death in public squares wherever they could be caught and their wealth was appropriated to the church. To this day, we still call Friday the 13th an unlucky day in their memory. Of course, the warrior knights were resourceful men, and many of them simply vanished with their principles and doctrines reappearing amongst the Freemasons. Now skip forward another couple of hundred years, and the church is in crisis mode again. It had been raising money by selling forgiveness in a system called indulgences that basically allowed you to indulge in a sin for a fee. In 1517, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther objected to this and called for the church to come back to the teachings of Jesus and the Bible. He started a movement of protest against the Catholic Church that stood for the Bible alone and salvation by grace alone. This protesting movement became known as the Protestant Church and swept half of Europe away from the main church. This was by far the biggest disaster that the church had ever faced. Not only were they struggling financially, but their cash cow of members was simply melting away. 
A number of different strategies were implemented, including crusades and the Inquisition. That was a judicial system that was set up to torture and burn to death anyone who left the church. A few years later, in 1540, a Spanish general by the name of Ignatius Loyola took a cannonball to the leg while fighting the French in battle. He spent many months recovering, going through a series of operations all without anaesthetic, which eventually left him so disabled he would never wield a sword again. Instead, he stepped forward to form a new paramilitary order of priests to bring a final end to Protestantism. This order was called the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits, And as a military order, it was patterned after the practice and teachings of the Knights Templar. However, this new society had a different focus. Rather than becoming bankers, they would focus on fighting for the church through educating and bringing the world back to the superstition of the Dark Ages. Becoming a Jesuit can take up to 17 years just to reach the lower levels and requires complete submission and total dedication to the order. Historian René Philip Miller stated, never before, in the history, in, never before in the course of the world's history had such a society appeared. The old Roman Senate itself did not lay schemes for world domination with greater certainty of success. Many today do not realise what a violent history the Jesuits have and how many countries they've been expelled from in their attempts to create regime change in favour of the church. Finally, They became so powerful and out of control that in 1773, they were even expelled from the Catholic Church itself. Even in modern times since their restoration, many, including our former treasurer, Peter Costello, have observed that it's like there are two Catholic churches running side by side. Going back to the origins of the Jesuits, we find that just five years after their formation, In 1545, the church convened the greatest council ever held. It was held in the city of Trent, and thus it was called the Council of Trent. Its purpose was to create strategies to bring the protesting church back to the Church of Rome. And for 18 long years, they discussed how to defend the doctrine that church tradition was equal to the writings of the Bible and how to disprove the concept of salvation by grace alone. At the end of this council, a new movement was formed called the Counter-Reformation. And this new strategy was to be headed up by the then newly formed but rapidly expanding Jesuit order. One of the first problems encountered by the Jesuits in bringing the protesting church back to Rome was the Protestant understanding of Bible prophecy. The Protestants recognised that Bible prophecy had been fulfilled in the past, was being fulfilled in the present, and would be fulfilled in the future, and that the Church of Rome heavily featured in the past, present, and future predictions. Before attempting to bring the Protestants back, the Catholic Church had to counter this doctrine. It took some time, but in 1517, the commentary of the Jesuit priest Louis de Alcazar was published. This commentary attempted to interpret all prophecy as having been fulfilled in the distant past and not extending beyond the Roman Empire. The Catholic Church, he argued, could not be featured in prophecy because all prophecy predated the Church. An alternative theory was to become more popular still, was published by the Jesuit Francisco Ribera. 
He published his commentary in 1591 and went the complete opposite direction to Alcazar. He theorised that the Church of Rome could not be featured in prophecy as all prophecy would be filled in the distant future during a seven-year reign of the Antichrist. Some of you no doubt are familiar with this concept. Ribera's views went on to be refined by the Jesuits Robert Bellarmine and Thomas Melvender. Over 200 years later, another Jesuit by the name of Manuel Lucunza, writing under a false name, added to Ribera's theory by creating a two-stage second coming of Jesus, with the righteous going to heaven previous to the seven-year tribulation. Up until this point, no Protestant had taken this concept seriously. But Jesus had warned this church. Revelation 3 verse 3, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Remember how you have received and hold fast. Clearly, for Protestantism, there was something that they had that was ready to die. It was not their understanding of salvation by grace alone, but it was their understanding of Bible prophecy. A few years later, in 1830, a Presbyterian preacher by the name of Edward Irving reprinted Manuel Lucunza's commentary, and for the first time, the Jesuit futurism found an audience in the Protestant church. Within Irving's church, there was a young 15-year-old girl who was having visions. In one of those visions, she claimed that when Jesus came back to earth, his return would be silent and invisible to all the saved. This correlated with some ideas that John Darby, the founder of a church called the Plymouth Brethren, had been toying with. He went on to invent the theory of the secret rapture. Now, the word rapture simply means to be taken up and is used by Christians to describe being taken up to meet Jesus when he returns. But the secret rapture is the concept that Jesus will return secretly, silently and invisibly. John Darby went on to convert a lawyer by the name of Cyrus Schofield who took the Jesuit teaching of futurism to the United States, writing it into the study notes of the famous Schofield Study Bible where over time it completely took over American Protestantism. Then in the mid-1990s, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins wrote a series of novels called the Left Behind series and they took America by storm, selling 80 million copies in that nation alone. That's more than one for every second home in America. And today America remains the primary country teaching that doctrine. Now the Bible is clear that we will be taken up to meet Jesus in the air. But a secret, silent, invisible event is found nowhere in Scripture. If you don't believe me, hey, this is live. So send your Bible passages through and we will read every one. While you're at it, you might like to look for a passage that describes the return of Christ as being in two stages. Or you could save the effort and just add it to the list of missing verses from the Bible that too many preachers like to use but don't actually exist. Maybe you could also find me a passage that describes a seven-year tribulation. Now, some might argue that a circumstantial case can be built for all those teachings. But when Jesus specifically and repeatedly warned that at the end of time there would be mass deception in relationship to how he would return, do you think he really wanted us to base our faith on such a flimsy set of equivocal teachings void of a defining verse? No, not at all. In fact, we find that Jesus went to great lengths to describe in detail exactly how he would return. 
And seeing in prophetic insight what would be taught at the end of time, he filled the Bible with passages specifically designed to combat the deceptions of the last days. Eschatologist Ellis Schofield stated, It's almost impossible to believe that major end-time doctrines of the Protestant church began in the minds of a couple of Jesuit priests, one of which wrote under an assumed name. And even more unbelievable that those views were amplified by the supposed visions of a 15-year-old girl who had only been a Christian for a year, dabbled in the occult and had a documented levitation. But the historic record of the origin of dispensational eschatology is unassailable. Many seminary students have tried to reconcile the plain assertions of Scripture with the dispensational position, but to no avail. Eventually, the future pastors just accept Ribera, Lacunza, MacDonald, Darby, Schofield, and after being ordained, go forth and happily teach this false doctrine to their flocks. Friends, the only way we can be protected from deception is to know exactly what Jesus says in the Bible. So let's find out. Sharissa, where should we start? Oh, wow, Lyle, what a, what a history you just shared with us. That's fascinating. And uh, if you would like to know more about tonight's presentation, stay with us because we're going to keep discussing what the Bible says about this subject. But we want to also remind you that each presentation has a free offer connected with it. And tonight's one is entitled The Return of Christ. If you would like to obtain your free copy of this, please text the number uh, on your screen with the word ADVENT 0428-833-386. And of course, if you would like to talk with somebody more about this subject tonight, then please text us the word CHAT. Same number, and we will connect with you. And don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button. Oh, yes. We because like by doing button. so, you can just spread it even further, That's right. further afield. Well, Lyle, uh, I guess we should go straight to the Bible. And um, let's maybe go to Acts, the book of Acts. Okay. Acts chapter 1. Uh, verses 9 to 11. And while we go there, I just want to remind all of our viewers, we're so happy you're here, but please, if you have questions or comments, we're going to be interspersing those and I'll be sharing them with Lyle throughout this Bible And, of course, study. there's a challenge there too. Send your yeah. verses through. Ab- yes, the challenge, the verses. That's, that's All it. right. That's it. All right. So the first verse we're going to go to, Lyle. Yes. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Yes. The Bible says, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So Lyle, there are some key words here. What are are they? Okay, so first of all, in this passage right here, the disciples are standing on the Mount of Olives and they literally see Jesus go into heaven. That's right. Okay, so that's important because the Bible says he's coming back, you know, mm-hmm. that the angels say, look, he'll come back the way he went up. Jesus literally ascended up off the earth and went into heaven, which means that he is literally going to descend from heaven to this earth. His feet won't touch the ground. I, we'll come to that later. Okay. But he literally comes back. This is, this is not a spiritual return. This is a literal mm-hmm. event. The second thing that we find here is the language that is used. And I find it fascinating because the Bible says he's coming back like he left. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 we have the words here beheld. We have the words here sight. We have the words here gazing. We have the words seen. We have the words looked. Yep. This is all visual language. It totally is. Which indicates to me that the return of Jesus will be one of the most visual events our world has ever seen. 
Wow, well, that's exciting. We're going to see it. Yes. Uh, let's go to some questions, questions. from right, our viewers. And I'm just looking at um, the ones that we've received so far. And so this first one that I'm going to go to is from Sparrow. And she's asking, she's viewing on Facebook. Special welcome to you. And she's asking, hi, I want to ask, um, she's saying, what will happen to the animals when Jesus comes back? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, the Bible talks about what happens to human beings. The Bible is silent in, what, in relationship to what happens to animals. And, you know, particularly people often ask me about their pets because, you know, we really do love our pets, don't we? I've got a dog and I love my dog. I'll be very sad, you know, when my dog passes away. It's kind of sad that, you know, our pets have shorter lifespans than what we do. And we have to deal with that from time to time. What we do know is this. We know that God loves us. We know that God loves animals because he created them. Yes. He knows we know that God wants us to be happy. So that's what we know. We also know that God has the power to restore our pets to us. Mm. Now, that's what we know. What we don't know is anything else. <laughs> and so beyond that, I'm not going to speculate, yes. but I know that what God does will be the right thing. We know that God is good. Yes. Absolutely, Lyle. Uh, maybe we'll do one more and then we'll get back to our Bible study. Uh, this one is coming from a viewer on Facebook, Van Prasag, I'm sorry if I didn't say your name right, but they asked, who are the very elect that will be deceived? Okay, the Bible doesn't say that they will be deceived. The Bible says that they, the deceptions will be powerful enough so that they could be deceived. And when the Bible says the very elect, uh, it's simply a way of saying the very righteous. Okay. You know, this is the, these, are, these are not your Christians who go to church, you know, once a year on Christmas time or something like that. This is Christians who go to church every Every, every week, this is, they, they go to prayer meeting during the week, they read their Bible, they, they have family worship at home. It's those kinds of Christians the Bible is warning. Guys, don't be complacent because there is a deception out there that is powerful enough to deceive Christians who know their Bibles inside out, back to front and upside down. Wow. That's Jesus' message right there. All right. Well, I guess we should keep studying. Absolutely. We need subject. to know our Bibles inside out, back to front and upside down. We need to be students of this book right here. When you know what the Bible says, you know what the truth is. It's that simple. I totally and 100% agree with you, Lyle. So Matthew chapter 24, yes. verses 30 to 31. And we'll come back to more questions. Please keep sending them through. Uh, this is what it says. It says, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. These are the words of Jesus. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So what are these events? Okay, Sounds so we don't have, we, this is not a spiritual return of Jesus. This is a very real event that we've got happening right, right. here, isn't it? Right. Okay, so let's work our way through it. You know, we, and we can make a bit of a list. The Bible says all the tribes of the earth will mourn, mm -hmm. that they will all see Jesus come back. Yep. Uh, then it goes on that he comes in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The angels go out. There's the great sound of a trumpet. So those are the, so those are the key elements that we have here. And, of course, the righteous are gathered from the four winds of heaven. In other words, they're gathered in the atmosphere to meet Jesus. Hmm. This is what the Bible is saying right here. So it's a fairly simple, straightforward verse. And what we're going to find is that this concept right here that is outlined by Jesus in Matthew 24 is repeated uh, pretty much most places where the Bible talks in detail about the return of Christ. Yeah, and actually I've just got here in my notes, Revelation 1 verse 7. Yes. It also emphasizes, behold, he is coming with clouds. 
and yes. every eye will see him. That's right. So this is a shorter version,、mm-hmm. and it only has two of those things in it. But he's coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him. And this is the key thing right here. The Bible says、um, that all the tribes of the earth will see Jesus come back. All right. This is a visual event. I'm actually really excited about this. Oh, absolutely! You have no idea. <laughs> I can't wait to keep dis- to discussing more of these details. Okay, Matthew chapter twenty-five,、yes. verse thirty-one. Lyle, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him. Now, what will that look like? Now we've mentioned this one on the end dot digital already. We have. But I want you to imagine for a moment when heaven empties itself. The Bible says there's silence in heaven.、Mm. You know, heaven is empty because. Everyone wants to be here when Jesus comes back. Nobody wants to miss out on this. No FOMO. <laughs> yes, no FOMO. That's right.、Uh, but imagine, you know, a, a circumstance where you have these incredibly powerful, glorious beings, and they are all here in one place at one time. And you know, on the horizon, you see that small speck, and it just grows bigger until the whole sky is full of the glory of God. You know, when Jesus comes back, this is the celebration of the universe. This is the greatest celebration that has ever taken place because this is the end of sin and pain and suffering. It's all over. It's gone, and Jesus is not going to hold back in、Amen. celebrating this event. Amen. Hollywood can't do this. No, not even close. <laughs> not even close. The best CGI in the world is never going to come close to this. Amen. All right, Matthew twenty-four verse twenty-seven adds another detail, Lyle. Yes. So,、um, for as the lightning comes from the east. And flashes to the west. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Like, have we seen lightning like this? Okay, so we had a a kind of a rare event this afternoon. We had a winter thunderstorm. So for those of you who are watching in the northern hemisphere, of course, it is winter here in New South Wales. We had a winter thunderstorm. You don't get that very often. We had a Melbourne moment. Okay, we had a Melbourne moment. <laughs> it lasted for maybe three minutes. Yes. <laughs> and we had thunder and lightning. We did. But imagine a lightning bolt that stretches literally. From horizon to horizon,、mm. you could see that with your eyes closed. You could see that if you were underground. That's so true. No one's going to miss this. Jesus is saying, "I'm coming back," and when I come back, no one's going to miss it. These are very important details that we're discussing. I'm really enjoying this.、Uh, we're going to go to some of the questions、Great. that we have received.、Um, this one, this one is got、uh, from Raphael Calvo. Watching on YouTube, and he's asked how much, and this is referring to your previous presentation. How much control and power do the Jesuits have today? So you were giving. Well, that's、issue. interesting. Yeah, interesting. You should ask that question because you know, for a long time there was there was they were sort of on the outer there for a while,、mm-hmm. uh, particularly going back to 1773. But I think probably the best way to answer that is to point out that Pope Francis is himself a Jesuit. That's the order that he comes from.、Mm. So that that's a pretty significant amount of power. He's probably the most powerful religious person in the world today.、Mm. Good answer.、Um, this is a bigger one.、Um, this is another big question, and I wouldn't know how to answer this one. But what discussions took place during the Council of Trent with respect to the Bible? Okay, so really, the big issue, and this was the big issue in the Council of Trent, for the Catholic Church to, Church to survive, they had to be able to defend the concept that. Uh, the the traditions of the church were of equal inspiration, equal value to the writings of Scripture,、mm-hmm. and so because of that, yeah, it took them a long time, and they and they argued a whole bunch of issues backwards and forwards as to you know how could they how could they defend this position,、uh, and that was that was probably the biggest thing that they looked at. You know, there were other Protestant doctrines, you know, like indulgences and salvation by grace alone and these kind of things, but the really big one that they focused on was looking at. 
Um, how do we defend our position on the Bible and the Bible alone? Now, okay, let me think about this. There was a very, very key argument that they were able to put forward at the end of the Council of Trent. And it was an argument that no Protestant could reply to. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very powerful argument. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save this one <laughs> because this is a good one, all right? I'm going to save this one for a future presentation mm-hmm. and it's going to absolutely amaze you and it will challenge you because the challenge for all of us as Christians and it's a challenge that we should face every day is are we living our lives in, uh, in the context of the Bible? Mm. And we should always be finding new things in the Bible to bring our lives in line with. Amen. Yeah, good question. I'm going I'm to save that one to... Oh, well, the end.digital, we're going for another three weeks, so it'll be in about two weeks' time, and I'm going to show you something. That, I'm going to show you a statement from the Council of Trent mm-hmm. where they absolutely just drove a death nail into Protestantism. Wow. Well, if that didn't whet your ha- appetite, I don't know what will. We've got to keep coming back, and I'm just going to do a plug right here for the free offer for tonight's presentation. There's one connected with each presentation. It's called The Return of Christ. If you want to obtain your free copy, please text the word ADVENT, which means the coming or the appearing. Uh, Text that word to the number you see on your screen or for those on radio, 0428-833-386. And look, we'll do one more question here because um, we have them coming in thick and fast, which is wonderful. Oh, good, good, good. Keep them coming. That's what it's all about. Yes. uh, We're going to go to this one. Jackie on Facebook is the foundation of Protestantism by faith alone through through God's grace. You mentioned by grace alone. Okay, then this is well, okay, let me just let me let me share what the Bible says. Amen. We should do that. Rather than what Protestantism says or Catholicism, yeah, well, who cares what either of them say? Let's find out what does the Bible say. Let's go to uh, Ephesians uh, chapter two, and we will simply read what it says right here. Let the scripture speak for itself. Uh, where am I? Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Chapter two. And we're going to read here in verse eight. The Bible says this for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Mm. Okay. So the Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. Mm. So we're saved by grace alone. And faith is what enables us to receive that grace. Amen. Then it goes on, not of works lest any man should boast. Of course, because, you know, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So works then become the result of having been saved by grace. I love it. Very clear answer. Well, let's get back to our Bible study. Um, because we've got quite a bit to get through tonight and the questions, we've got to balance it all. Yes, yes, Bible study time. Really excited. 1 Thessalonians. All right, let's go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'll read verses 16 through 18. This is what it says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What are the events that are listed here? Put them on Exactly the same events that we have in Matthew chapter 24. Okay. We've got Jesus descending from heaven. That happens in Matthew 24. We read that at the beginning of this Bible study. We've got 
the righteous being gathered. We had that in Matthew 20, chapter 24, the beginning of the Bible study. We have the great sound of the trumpet. That was happening there as well. We've got the angels. We've got the righteous being gathered in the air. All of the same events are happening. This is the same passage right here. This is What this is, is, is Paul just rephrasing what he said, what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Okay. Now, the thing that I, I find interesting with this passage is that whenever I ask somebody, can you give me a verse on the secret rapture, they often take me to this verse. And when we talk about, you know, we talked about the secret rapture earlier as being something that is secret, silent and invisible, I'm like, well, why did you take me to the noisiest verse in the Bible? <laughs> you know, there's nothing secret, silent and invisible about this verse right here because if you notice, the Bible says that the Lord will descend with a shout and if you want to do something secretly, you don't go around shouting about it. Absolutely. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. So in our previous verses, we noted that the return of Jesus will be literal. Then we noted that it will be visible. Now we find that it will be audible on an unimaginable scale. Jesus is not holding back. He's going to celebrate. And sometimes people say, oh, yes, but this is a shout that only the righteous can hear. Um, it just doesn't say that. Sorry. Okay. And Lyle, are there some things that Jesus specifically says that he will not do when he returns? And if there are, what are those? Things? Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. Um, to answer that question, we're going to go over to Psalms. Let's go over to Psalms very quickly. Psalms chapter 50, I think it is. Psalms chapter, where's, Psalms is a big book. It's a good book. On, it's a very good book. <clears throat> Psalms chapter 50 and verse 3. Mm -hmm. Here it is. Okay, what does God say he specifically will not do when he returns? The Bible says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. That's a pretty black and white verse right there. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, he is not going to be silent. He is going to have a lot of things to rejoice about. The Bible says a fire will devour before him and it will be very tempestuous round about him. Jesus isn't coming back silently. You won't find that in the Bible. It's not there. Jesus is celebrating when he comes back. The whole universe is going to hear it. Amen. Um, what about in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it's, he's called the chief shepherd shall appear. Yes, the chief shepherd shall appear. And there's another verse that goes right along with that. Um, what's that other verse? I think we've got another one there. Uh, first Peter, I've got the wrong reference here in my notes, so I'm just trying to find it. Oh, okay. But, um, it talks about the chief shepherd appearing. It talks about, and, and these are just verses really that are highlighting um, shall appear the second time, he shall appear the second time. These verses are highlighting the fact mm -hmm that wherever you find a record of the return of Jesus Christ, the Bible is using language that is saying Jesus is going to appear. This is the opposite language to what we often find being taught in novels today. Mm. We need to base our Christianity not on a novel, but on the Word of God. This is not a novel. This is where you'll find truth. Amen. On that note, Lyle, let's check out some more questions. Yes, and by the way, I just yes. want to say, while you're sending your questions in, send your questions through. Mm. Um, if you are, you know, and, and if you'd like our free offer, uh, send the word, text the word ADVENT to 0428-833-386. That's our number. Uh, special welcome for our listeners on Faith FM. Uh, we enjoy having your company as well. But uh, send your message through. We would love to hear from you. If you want to talk to us, send through the, the message chat and we'll give you a call and have a conversation with you as well. But when you are listening to these Bible studies, it is important that you don't take Sharissa and my word for what this is. 
You need to go back and you need to study the Bible for yourself. I can't get you to heaven. Sharissa can't get you to heaven because we've never been there. Only Jesus can get you to heaven because he's been there Amen. and he is there. Amen. All right. All Questions. Right. Let's All go. All right, Lyle. Here we go. So this one is going to come from Isabel Naylor. She's watching on Facebook. Good to have you, Isabel. She said, someone told me that there will be three resurrections. Is that so? Okay. Ooh, that's an interesting Okay, let's go to, the, go to the book of Daniel. Okay. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Well, actually, no, let's go to the, let's go to the book of John first. We're going to go to John first and then we're going to go to Daniel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We're going to go to John chapter 5 yep. and verse 28, the Bible says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and will come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So there's two. Mm. But someone has been doing some digging. Yes. I'm going to show you something here that is, that this will blow your mind. Uh, where are we going? Daniel. Daniel chapter 12. Yeah. Daniel chapter 12. Because what we're going to find out is that, you know, your two resurrections there, they're separated from each other. And uh, the Bible talks about the first resurrection, the second resurrection. You'll find that in Revelation chapter 20. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. Okay? okay. So we know that the righteous are raised in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first one. If you've got a first one, obviously you have a second. In, Reve- in Daniel 12 and verse 2, the Bible says, many of those that sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Okay, so there's your first resurrection. Yes. Some to everlasting life. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. And then it goes on, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. What's going on here? Who's being resurrected there and why? Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. Let's this head over exciting, there. This oh, is this exciting, Lyle. This is amazing. Which chapter? We'll go to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 63. Jesus is on trial for his life. The Bible says, but Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. And he said, you've said so. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter. Shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven? Mm. Wow, imagine if you were the high priest right then and Jesus stands in front of you and Jesus says, you know what? I am God. I am the Son of God. And I'm going to resurrect you from the grave to see me come back. And if you don't believe me so far, then go to Revelation chapter 1 and we'll finish reading a verse that we read a little portion of Uh, A little while ago, we're going to get a little bit more context this time. Verse 7, the Bible says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and those also which pierced or crucified him. That was a little Bible study within the Bible study. Bible study within the Bible study. There you go. Really good, Lyle. A great Bible answer. Thank you. Uh, I think we'll do just one more here, and we'll go back. Yes. Uh, And this one I just saw, it's from... Katty, she's asking through Facebook, uh, is the sound of the trumpet when Jesus comes back the same as the last trumpet from the seven trumpets or is it a different one? 
Okay, the last trumpet. No, it's a different one. Okay. Yes, uh, that's a, that's a short. The last. The, okay, so here's what you've got in the book of Revelation. You've got uh, the principle of repeat and enlarge. We find that in yes. Daniel, where prophecies repeat themselves and enlarge on themselves. Yes. Um, that's the nature of prophecy. The first prophecy is the seven churches. The second prophecy is the seven seals. The third prophecy is the seven trumpets. They're all covering the same time period from the time of John through to the end of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the seven churches. Seven different time periods through history, seven seals, seven different time periods through history, seven trumpets, seven different time periods through history. But the seventh trumpet does bring you down to the time of the dead that they should be judged and the judgment. And so it has a relationship to the last trumpet, but it's not the last trumpet. All right. That's good. So let's get back to our Bible study because this next part is probably something that people might ask questions about as well. Yes. Um, oh, good. good yeah, good, good. it's about the thief. He's coming okay, as the a thief. Okay, the thief, the thief. I'm, why has nobody sent me that question yet? <laughs> well, I'm going to give it to you right Maybe now. Maybe they have. Maybe we missed it. Um, Jesus was saying, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. What do you say to that? Okay, so some people come to me with this verse. In relationship, this comes back to the secret rapture and, and this Jesuit concept. Uh, some people come to me with this verse mm-hmm. and they say, well, this verse says that Jesus is coming like a thief. And, you know, when thieves come, they, they sneak into your house secretly, silently and invisibly, steal things and then sneak back out again. And so Jesus is going to sneak in, steal the righteous and sneak back out again. Well, my question is, do all thieves operate that way? You know, we had some thieves here in Newcastle just, what, two days ago who were doing ram raids. You know, they were taking a ute and just driving it through the front of a building, stealing stuff and then driving off again. Good point. That's not exactly sneaky. Mm-mm. So not all thieves use the same method. But all thieves do have one thing in common. They don't get on the phone and call you and say, hey, I'm coming over to rob your place tonight. <laughs> they come unexpectedly. So the question is, in this passage, is Jesus trying to emphasize that he's coming secretly, silently and invisibly? We'd well, have to have a Bible verse to say that. Or is the Bible emphasizing that Jesus is coming unexpectedly? Notice the context. I'm going to go through some context. Okay. Uh, let's go back to verse 36. The Bible says, but the day and hour, no one knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 39. Sorry, Lyle, we should tell everyone. I forgot to tell them. We're in Matthew 24, verse 36. We are. Matthew 24, verse 36. Mm-hmm. The day and hour, no one knows. Uh, verse 39, they knew not. It would be like the days of Noah. They didn't know until the flood came. Uh, the verse before, verse 42, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord will come. Mm-hmm. The verse after, therefore be you also ready for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. A couple of verses down. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him, an hour is not aware of. And then again, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. Jesus doesn't want anyone to get confused over this verse. And so he's given you six verses where he has explained it for context. Okay. So what about the two in the field, though? Because in Luke chapter 17, verse 35, it says, Two women... Yes. will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. All right. So in this passage, does it say anything that, you know, uh, it's going to be secret, silent and invisible? No. No. It simply says that you could have two people standing side by side and one is saved and one is lost when Jesus comes back. Isn't that so? That's right. That's what it says. Let's okay. not read into it what it does not say. Mm-hmm. Let's go with what it says. And then let's read the next verse, find out what that says, and get a little bit of context. So where were we here? I think I wrote this one down. Um, the, yeah, well, in, you know, verse 35, 
Um, Two men in the field, one taken, the other left. Verse 36, the next verse, it says, And they, that's the disciples, said to him, Jesus, where? Where are the left? He said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered, eagles will be gathered together. In other words, he's saying very clearly, they're left dead. Mm-hmm. When Jesus comes back, the wicked are destroyed. They don't survive that event. I couldn't get much reality. clearer than that. Could no, it? it's very clear. Um, so in your opinion, what would the most conclusive verse in the Bible be to show that this, there is no such thing as a secret rapture? Okay, so we're going to look at... There's, pretty, there's a lot of conclusive there verses. Are, there are a lot of <laughs> verses that are more. really clear on this one. I'm going to go to... I'm going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Mm-hmm. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 10. So that's 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me just find it here. Where did Peter go? Verse 10. Notice what it says here. Watch this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We read about that earlier. 2 Peter 3. Sorry. Did I say first? Yes. See, this is how you know that it's live. <laughs> okay. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And then it says, in which, okay, so now the Bible is going to describe to you what's going to happen in that day when Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Mm -hmm. Okay, just in case you got confused over that, Jesus wants to make it really, really clear for us. In which the heavens, that's the atmospheric heavens, will pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's not a survivable event. When the surface of our earth turns to molten lava and the atmosphere disappears, no one will be left alive here on this earth. The only way to survive that event is to be with Jesus. Amen. And Lyle... You know, time is just running away oh, on us just, every night. Oh, it is. Have we got time for any more questions <laughs> we, or not? We're going to have to we go. We kind of have to. I want to go to them because there's so many good ones here and uh, we just might have to make them fluid. All right. All right. <laughs> so um, I'll try and be short. I'm going to try and combine two in one here because two people sort of ask similarly related questions. The first one I'll read to you is from Malita. Yes. I know her. It's, oh, okay. I think it's my sister. I think it might be. There you go. <laughs> so she's asking, question, why would... And who would want to try to pretend to be Jesus returning? I guess because Jesus uh, warned of false Christ. Yes, absolutely. That's that's the first question. And the other one I'll put there is from Danny Milenkov. I know him too. Uh, He's asking questions. You you guys might have a radio program on Faith FM Radio in the afternoon. So nice to have our friends uh, listening in and (laughs) throwing some questions out. They're related questions. Is it possible that Satan might try to, might seek to counterfeit the coming of Jesus? Please comment on the he in Matthew 24, 26. Matthew 24, verse 26. I think this is a very, very valid question that has been raised here. The Bible says that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Mm -hmm. And as human beings, we are programmed to believe what we can see with our eyes and what we can touch with our fingers and what our senses can perceive. And so if this kind of a deception was to come, it would be the most powerful deception. And it would seem to me that Satan would be very remiss in deceiving the world if he missed this opportunity at the end of time. Okay. True. Uh, the Bible says, which one of the, which, which verses? Did uh, they Matthew want? 24, verse 26. Verse 26. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert. Don't go there. Behold, he is in the secret chamber. Believe it not. Not. Okay, so if they say he is there or he is somewhere else and he has already come, 
don't believe it because when he comes, it's going to be like the lightning comes from the east to the west. That's what the next verse says right there. And so if somebody comes to you and says, yeah, he's, he's already here, then that is most likely Satan himself personating the return of Christ. All right. Good answer. This is from Divergent One on YouTube. Good to have you. Uh, they ask, are not the dead in Christ in heaven already? Interesting question. Okay, so we've got, what we have is, is a tension in this question. And the tension is this. Traditionally, Christianity, we speak about the immortality of the soul and so forth. But then we have a resurrection. How do you have a resurrection if you don't die? That's right. It's a really good question, don't you think? It is. Uh, it's one of those ones that, you know, we go to so many funerals and we never actually stop to think about it and we never stop to ask that question. But it's a valid question. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a whole presentation on that question on Wednesday, the very next presentation. Okay, so that's next up. Wednesday? That's next Wednesday. Okay, so we've got to come back. Yes, yeah, so we've got a bit of a break after tonight. We've gone three nights in a row. We've got a bit of a break. We'll be back next Wednesday and we'll answer that question. Excellent. Uh, this one's from Lawson. And I think you know him well too. <laughs> I think all of our friends have uh, probably organised a watch party here okay. and conspired to throw us lots of questions. We love you guys. Could nuclear warfare bring about these events? Okay, no. Um, nuclear warfare, you know, the Bible certainly does not rule out nuclear warfare before Jesus comes back. What the Bible does rule out is total destruction of the human race by nuclear warfare because clearly there are many people left on earth before Jesus comes back. However, so nuclear warfare could be one of the events because the Bible talks about wars and rumors of wars and nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Okay. And so in that context, we could easily have nuclear war and look around the world right now. You've, you've always got North Korea just sort of sitting up there, you know, with uh, itchy trigger fingers. Um, anything could happen in that, in that space right there. Yeah. But the return of Jesus is going to be with power and great glory. What that power is made out of, I don't know. I tend to think it's a lot more powerful than something that humans could invent, you know, as in nuclear energy. All right. I think he's got something better than that. Well, we, we are going to do a couple more because these are important and they're on the topic tonight. Okay. And, um, so Cindy Benjamin, viewing through Facebook, yes. she asks a really good one. It says about a new heaven and a new earth, does this mean the earth itself will be totally destroyed, e.g. blown up, and wh why the heavens be destroyed? Okay, so if we go over here to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, and we pick up from where we left off, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, and the Bible says, seeing all these things will be dissolved, in verse 11. Mm -hmm. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Okay, so when the Bible talks about uh, the atmosphere being on fire and the elements melting with fervent heat, the Bible is not saying that the earth will be disintegrated into dust and scattered throughout the universe. But the Bible does say that the atmosphere burns up, the surface of the earth melts. In other words, it kind of takes our world back to scratch, square one. Now, when you look at our world right now, there, are, there is a lot of damage. Our world is a very damaged place. The Bible says that the earth will grow old like a garment just before the time of the end, and we see that happening. Our atmosphere is full of pollution. Our earth is being destroyed, and God's like, okay, I'll just, I'll just get rid of all of the rubbish and burn that away and get ready to recreate it again um, in, in the future. Now, the Bible says, there's a promise. It's in the 
in the in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' manifesto, it says this: "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." Mm. The promise there is that this earth is our home, and one day God will recreate this earth. I'm going to talk more about that next Thursday, Friday. Okay. Thursday, all next right. Thursday. All right, so we've got a, got a plug for Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, 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 yeah. Friday, you guys are on the week. money. You're asking all the right <laughs> questions. Okay. Very good. Maybe we'll make this one the last one. Um, this is from someone watching us on Facebook, Tadi Wanashe, and he asks, what other physical evidence will accompany Jesus' return? Have we missed anything? We've hit all of the high points okay. of the physical, you know, the, you've got yep. uh, Jesus comes in the, in, in the clouds of heaven. He comes in the atmosphere. Um, he comes with the sound of a trumpet, the voice of the archangel, um, the shout of God. He comes with the angels. Uh, these are all the physical things that are taking place. It's like lightning from one side of the horizon to, our, to the other. So we've hit all of the high points there. Um, there will probably be a whole bunch of other smaller details that uh, that Jesus will add in and we will find out on the day. But those are the ones that the Bible highlights. All right. We won't miss it. Yes. No, no, no one's going to miss this. Yeah. I mean, you know, when the atmosphere disappears and the surface of the earth melts, if you miss that, you miss something pretty big. <laughs> All right. Maybe we, we'll go back and we'll finish up our Bible study together um, now. Yes. The big question, why is Jesus coming back? Why is Jesus coming back? And Okay. Yeah. You've got a verse for us right there. You've got a verse. Go ahead. Read that verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Okay, so Jesus is coming back so that we can spend eternity with him. That's his whole purpose. Jesus loves us. He created us. He wants us to be with him for eternity. And so he's coming back so that we can spend eternity with him. But I want you to notice in this passage right here, that there's more to it than that. He's coming back to restore families. Amen. I think all of us, Teresa, have been very, very closely affected by death. No human being goes through life without losing people that we love. And when Jesus comes back, those relationships are going to be restored again. I'm looking forward to that day more than you can even begin to imagine. Death has touched my family on a very close and personal level. And I look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and I can not only spend eternity with Jesus Christ as my friend, as my Lord and as my saviour, but I can be reunited with family members that I've lost. And I look forward to that great day. This is a day that you can look forward to as well. Jesus offers it to you as that free gift that we receive by faith. The Bible says by, you are saved by grace through faith. And this evening, Jesus extends that grace to you. Won't you accept that grace? If you want to know more about how to accept that grace, then simply text the word CHAT to 0428 386 and we will give you a call. Absolutely. Well, we've come to the end of our time together tonight. It's been a really exciting Bible study. Thank you, Lyle, for leading us through it. And just a reminder to get your free offer tonight. Just text the word ADVENT to the same number, 0428-833-386. It will help you in further study. And Lyle, you've given us a lot of hints about next week. So what can we expect next Wednesday? 
Okay, so next Wednesday we're going to talk about um, the end of the end, what happens next. So uh, what happens to... We're going to take up the subject of what happens when a person dies. And the reason we're going to take that up is that the resurrection is a subject that cannot be separated from the subject of the end of time. Everywhere the Bible speaks about the end of time, it speaks about the resurrection. What does that mean? How does that work? What, is it, how, what are the implications for us? That's a big subject. I look forward to sharing it with you. It's a subject that is full of hope and full of promise. All right. Well, you don't want to miss that subject next week. A reminder to like our Facebook page or, give, or subscribe to our YouTube channel so you receive the notification of when we do go live. But until then, we will wish you a good weekend. May God bless you. And we'll look forward to having you back with us Wednesday night next week. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.